What is not written is not said. What is not written remains undone. Some things can be risked leaving to memory and others simply must be noted. These are referred to as noteworthy things. When you encounter the noteworthy that is backed by and based on the word of God, you have met the noteworthy. Welcome to the noteworthy with Teddy Podcast, brought to you by Reverend Teddy A. Jones. Get your mind in gear and your willpower engaged. The revolution begins now. Here is today's episode. The passage that was read, a section of Isaiah chapter 40, will form part of the basis of the reflections. Um, Indeed, I'd like to recommend that sometime today, as soon as possible, that you read through the entire chapter, a very powerful chapter, the opening chapter of a section of Isaiah's collection of writings, the prophet Isaiah, between chapters 40 and 55 that represent the period of time in which the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. So that period of time when they were in captivity in Babylon, you can well imagine, represents a time of sadness. They were in captivity. I was drawn to this chapter for the tremendous message of renewal and strength and encouragement that it holds. So I encourage you to read the entire chapter, like I said. I'd like to just share three quick thoughts with us on renewal from the chapter. Want to encourage us towards, say to us that the, the text speaks to us about a renewal of hope, a renewal of faith, and a renewal of humility. Let's start with looking at a renewal of hope. How does this text speak to us about a renewal of hope? G.K. Chesterton, writing in his book, Signs of the Times, April 1993, shares a perspective on hope, a thought on hope. He says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as it matters, sorry, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And so it's a paradox, if you will, that it is in the midst of challenging times. It is when things are most or seem to be most hopeless, rather, is that hope matters most and hope shines forth best. So the chapter opens. Comfort. Comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. 
that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is how the chapter opens. Comfort. Comfort, my people. Remember, they are in Babylon. They are in captivity. Things are, are, are rough. They are in dire straits. They are almost about to give up hope. What, what, what can we hope for? What is there to hope about? As I challenge us towards a renewal of hope, Samar said, well, we can hope in God's care. Our text speaks to that, speaks to that to us. The text goes on to say, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So I want us to hear the text. So I'm going to be sharing the very, the very verses, the specific verses from the text. We can hope in God's care. He tends his flock like a shepherd. One song says, Savior, like a shepherd, lead me. But I, I, I hear someone who has been grappling with the thunderbolts of life, perhaps, struggling with this very thought. Does Jesus care really i don't feel that way it doesn't seem that way to me let me share a, 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 one of my favorite hymns with you that speaks to that very question of course singing is not my forte so i would try to sing it for you i'll just read the, the lyrics does jesus care when my heart is stained too deeply for mirth or song as the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long. The refrain says, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when my way is dark? With a nameless dread and fear, as the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. You can look up the song, and, and of course, you can, you'll can you be able to play it from YouTube or elsewhere on the internet. Prophet song, Claire Booth Luce says of situations, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. 
if you have, if you have um, taken some studies in psychology, you perhaps um, come across the, the term logotherapy and, and be familiar with the name Viktor Frankl, one of the survivors of the Holocaust. And he describes how the only thing that kept he and the other survivors as they were as they were punished, as they were tortured daily in Hitler's concentration camps was a long hope, a deep hope that they will survive. Hope in a hopeless situation, a cause to stay alive. Hear the interrogation of the text. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Sometimes, if we are honest, I hope you can be honest with me and with yourself, that there are many times that we feel as if our way is hidden from God. Our struggle. The struggle is real, the young people say these days. That our struggle is hidden from God, that God must have forgotten about us. That God has even disregarded us. Let me hear the rhetorical question of the text. Why do you complain? Why do you say your way is hidden from God and your cause is disregarded by your God? The text challenges us. As I, as I challenge us to renew hope, it challenges us to, to reflect. It makes a statement, a declaration to us that feelings of dejection, rejection, anxiety, being forgotten, being disregarded, weakness, weariness are common to our humanity. But they are just that. They are feelings. We must never allow them to become our final reality, to define us. They are feelings. Therefore, they are transient. I want to challenge us, as I challenge us to renew hope, never make the transient permanent. Yes, it is okay to feel disregarded. It is okay to feel forgotten. It is okay to feel scared. But that's a feeling. The reality our text is reminding us is that God does not grow tired and his understanding is infinite. The best of us, the strongest of us can and will have our waterloo of life. Here the text, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But God, but God, God never grows weary, our text says. 
God has enough capacity to understand the pain and hurts and sorrows and disappointments of all of us with the ability to provide customized individual solutions to our problems. So we can hope in God's care. Not only that, we can hope in God's justice. I think you'll agree with me that recent times have highlighted so much of the injustice, both locally and internationally, with the killing of George Floyd and all the others before and the others after, with the, the, the disparity, the wide disparity in the dispensation of justice, even locally, and also in our personal situations where we feel unfairly treated. But here, our text speaking to us again, that we can hope not only in God's care, but also in God's justice. Yes, that text, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley, verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place is a plain. Who, who remembers? I wonder if anyone remembers where we meet this in the New Testament, the letter in the life of Jesus. John the Baptist, this is what he used. He quoted from this very chapter in introducing and announcing the arrival of Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, and the announcement that the kingdom of God, that space and rule and reign of God, that, that, that sphere of influence that creates a space of shalom, that represents the renewal of all things. This is how John announced that it was about to burst forth. He picks up from Isaiah, who painted there in chapter 40, a picture of equality. Look at the imagery. Look at the, the, the geographical imagery. Imagery, valleys being raised up, mountains being brought low. Equality, crooked paths made straight. Straight. The downtrodden are lifted, the haughty are brought low, the corrupt systems and practices are straightened out, the rough pathways that people have to trod, the God of justice intervenes to bring about equality and justice. We can hope in God's care, we can hope in God's justice, renewal of hope, but it text goes further even. For it shows us the result, the resultant of hoping in God. What does it produce? Hope in God produces strength renewed. It gives strength to the weary, the text says. And those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. Hope in God produces a fresh perspective. He says, those who hope in God, they will soar like the eagle. A remarkable bird, the king of the birds, if you will, for it is the eagle, the only bird that, that rises, that soars above the air currents, above the rain clouds. An eagle, we are told, can spot a rabbit moving along almost a mile away on the ground. This means that an eagle flying at an altitude of 1,000 feet over open country can spot prey over an area of almost three square miles. Perspective, 
an elevated and enhanced perspective. Those who hope in God, they are able to stand above and look down on the challenges and the problems and get fresh, fresh, fresh perspective. Unlike those who hope in themselves or in humans. Hope in God produces resilience. There's those who hope in God, they will run and not be very resilient. They will walk and not faint. I, I wish I had time to, to go further into this, but let me hurry on. A renewal of hope, a renewal of faith. Not only can we renew our hope in these difficult times, in our personal Waterloo's, but we can renew our faith. Dr. J. Elder Cummings contended that in almost every case, the beginning of new blessing is a new revelation of the character of God. More beautiful, more wonderful, more precious. Such new revelation and understanding of the character of God confronts us in this step. What are some of the, the, the fresh things I want us to see? Or I'll be reminded, or renew our appreciation of and for from this text. God is trustworthy. Here the text, a voice cries out, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. God is trustworthy. His word endures forever. Are we near our faith? Yes, circumstances may be buffeting us. We, are, we may be getting body blows from life. And of all the unexplained, the, the inexplicable crises, personal crises, some of us may be even in a crisis of faith. But our text is reminding us that God is trustworthy. Unlike humans, whose faithfulness is like the flower of the field that is here now and then, poof, vanishes. God is trustworthy. Not only is God, God trustworthy, we're talking about renewing faith, but God is still in charge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it may seem as if the world has gone crazy, as the world has gone mad, but God is still in charge. Here the text. Here is your God. See the text. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. God is all-powerful. See, here are text. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Here are text talking to us about the testimony of creation, how creation testifies to the power and the faithfulness of God. Here, here, some further questions from our text. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales, in, on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him 
Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's verse 22. Friends, I, 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 I am a man of science. May sound strange for a man of, of theology, but I'm, I'm a man of science. Long before science settled the question of flat earth or wrong earth, the Bible declared the earth to be circular. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And science, we're talking about faith, renewing faith in God. Science is now rapidly confirming biblical declarations. Another example is the discovery that there is actually more volume of water inside the Earth's crust than on the surface. As, but as early as in the book of Genesis, the Bible spoke about the waters beneath the Earth. These discoveries in science are having the effect of bringing some noted atheists into a crisis of faith. Some have abandoned atheism entirely and embraced theism. For example, Francis Collins, the head researcher of the Human Genome Project, talking about how science actually inspired him to move from being an atheist to believing in God. Others have moved away from science as ultimate reality to an acknowledgement that there must be some metaphysical entity behind the formation of the cosmos. That it didn't just happen. That even if there was a big bang, someone was behind the big bang. So our text <laughs> exposes the foolish pathway of idolatry. I'm challenging us from our text to renew our faith in this season of crisis and collapse. The foolishness of idolatry. Here are the text. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashion silver chains for it. And goes on to about those who, who make idols of wood. Foolishness. A human being having to carve and, and overlay with gold and silver, and then that human being that has a brain turning around and Elevating that piece of wood or, or stone that has been overlaid with gold or silver and bowing down to that which the human has created. Our text laughs at that because it's funny, challenging us to renew our faith in the one who counsels, consulted with no one to form this impressive and expansive universe that we call home. The last is. A renewal of hope, a renewal of faith, and a renewal of humility. My final challenge to us. Why should we contemplate a renewal of humility at, at the personal level? Because humans are fickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me remind you how the text said that, that all people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. We are fickle. And we are, we are finite and we are vulnerable. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. 
read between verse 23 and onwards, and you'll see further examples of that. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. The big, great rulers of earth, all those who were exalting themselves and, and some who were threatening to, 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 to melt the earth into oblivion with, the, with the, their military nuclear might, the world rulers have all since been humbled by what? A microscopic organism. We who thought we were big and bad and ruled things because we have invented and we are advancing technology. This virus has made it very clear that we are not in charge. That we should humble ourselves. We who think that we are invincible. The text says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Everything is subject to the power of God. We are not in charge. We do not run things. I challenge us to our renewal of humility, to hold ourselves in right perspective, to renew a humility that puts God at the center, and we see ourselves as mere vessels of service. So this text calls us to our renewal of hope, hope in God's care, hope in God's justice, to experience that which that hope produces, resilience, elevated perspective, renewal of strength. And it invites us to a renewal of humility that we are but passing through pilgrims on a journey. And our greatest greatness comes not in exalting ourselves, but in being humble servants of the Most High God. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast, Noteworthy with Teddy. This is Reverend Teddy A. Jones. You think about it, let's talk about it. I look forward to your questions and comments. Use the social media links provided here to connect with me. If it's noteworthy, then others need to hear. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends and family. See you on the next episode. DV.